This is an ABC podcast. A few weeks ago, the Royal Commission delivered its report on the whole Nicola Gobbo saga. This is what all the characters in this podcast had been waiting for. It's been two years and $40 million in the making. And at 1pm on Monday the 30th of November... Commissioner Margaret McMurdo released her four-volume, 1,000-plus-page document. And along with it, she released a short video summarising the findings. Miss Gobbo's duplicitous and improper conduct spanned a period of more than 15 years. It started before she was admitted as a lawyer in the early 1990s and became progressively more entrenched and destructive after her third registration as a human source for Victoria Police in 2005. Tonight, inexcusable, the Lawyer Ex-Royal Commissioner slams Victoria Police for corrupting... Rachel Brown, who last year interviewed Nicola Gobbo in a secret international location, returns to 7.30... A special investigator will be appointed in Victoria to examine whether charges should be laid against the police officers who used criminal barrister Nicola Gobbo as a secret source. Just hours after the report dropped, a message came through from the woman herself. Nicola Gobbo's lawyer, Tim Tobin SC, read me her statement. I have made plenty of mistakes in my life, the greatest one being seduced into trusting Victoria Police almost 20 years ago. From the beginning, I was groomed, controlled and manipulated by officers of Victoria Police, including those of the highest ranks. During the last four years, I've been totally controlled by Victoria Police and no longer have independence, freedom or an ability to say anything without being threatened by them with the most dire consequences. I applaud the Royal Commissioner for recognising the role that Victoria Police played in this saga. My life has been destroyed, my health irreparably damaged and my family utterly devastated. I remain sickened and fearful that those who have orchestrated my actions with full knowledge and encouragement and who are still controlling me now may never face the sanctions that I have or be in any way held accountable for what they've done and are still doing. Nicola may have been happy with the way the Royal Commission recognised the complicity of the police in this whole affair. But the Commissioner also had plenty of criticism for Nicola herself. A key recommendation is for the Victorian government to establish a special investigator with full powers to examine whether Ms Gobbo may have committed any criminal offences connected with her conduct as a human source for Victoria Police. The breach of her obligations as a lawyer was inexcusable. Her behaviour in concert with Victoria Police undermined the administration of justice, compromised criminal convictions and damaged the standing of Victoria police officers uninvolved in this debacle. It has shaken public trust and confidence in Victoria's legal profession and criminal justice system. When the Royal Commission's report was released, I called my reporting partner on this project, Josie Taylor, for a chat. Hey, Rach. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? It's finally over. (laughs) Almost. For us, yeah, but for Vic Pohl, no. What did you think about the the main finding, the main recommendation that a special investigator be appointed to look into her and whether she might have 
broken the law. We don't know who that will be, what their resources will be, how long their investigation will take, um, how difficult it's going to be, what powers they have. None of those answers are there. It's all very sort of nebulous. We don't even know where she is. So, and whether, yeah, and whether how they'll get access to her, I suppose. Would police necessarily want to facilitate her being uh, interviewed by a special investigator and to sort of continue to open that Pandora's box? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we'll let you talk. Um, Please go ahead, dump us in it even further. That's right. And it just makes you wonder, well, what will the special investigator be left with? Because um, we also know that witnesses who've given evidence to the Royal Commission, their evidence cannot be used against them in in another investigation. Well, the commissioner slammed Nicola Gobbo saying she was duplicitous, she engaged in disgraceful betrayal. You know, Nicola Gobbo had told us she kept representing people who earlier clients had implicated because she feared for her life, like keep the enemy close kind of thing. Mm. Um, But it doesn't sound like the commission bought that at all. It said, you know, that she could have easily used her health issues like a stroke as a circuit breaker. Um, yeah. You know, and they it said, yes, it would have required hard work and courage, but that Ms Gobbe wasn't short of either. Um, yeah, that's, I love that. I love that because it's like she's recognising, she, she gets who this woman is, that she's actually quite unusual and, and, yes, even courageous, even in some of her crazy, brave stuff that she did. But I just love that she pointed out that, you know, she had the qualities there to, to have done something different and she chose not to. It was nearly this time a year ago, Christmas time, when Nicola Gobbo tried to return home from overseas, but was given an ultimatum. Go back into hiding or risk being separated from your children. It was also around a year ago when we tried to get an update from her lawyer, Tim Tobin, and he said his computer was remotely shut down by a mysterious hacker. Have you found any more out about that? Victoria Police has assured me it couldn't do anything like that. Uh, No, we've had some investigations to try and establish what happened. The only comment I would make is that I had a very similar incident some weeks ago, the day that I appeared on behalf of Nicola by Zoom uh, or WebEx in the Supreme Court. And so there was a fair amount of material going through my computer that day uh, mentioning her name. Within 15 minutes of that hearing finishing, my computer was again turned off remotely and I went to my phone and picked my phone up and there was a recorded voice on the phone saying that your computer and phone have been turned off because uh, there is a concern that there is somebody attempting a fraud or an interception on your computer and phone. I got the technical services back in again and that occurred about 11.15 and it took them some seven hours to get the computer up and operating again properly. It had to be reset back from factory settings. They couldn't trace where the attempt was made from. But they it was external. It was external to the Victorian bar. Thank you kindly for reading me that statement um, from Nicola. In it, she mentions that police are still controlling her. Can you elaborate what she means by that? Um, Nicola is always aware of the fact that the 
Vic Police have a large influence on her life and anything that she would wish to do, they would continue to have an influence on her life. She doesn't feel free from them in any way. Is this problematic because a special investigator has been appointed to look into this um, and I'm guessing we'll want to talk to Nicola Gobbo. Will, will she be prevented, do you worry, from speaking to that special investigator? There are police who, from the Royal Commission, are the, would be the target of the investigator. Uh, it is a risk that there will be a failure to provide the access which Nicola might wish to have with the investigator. Do you think she would give evidence against police or would like to? Although Nicola has been found to have acted improperly in a significant way in breach of conduct, um, rules and the like, she does have an interest in justice and to the extent that Justice may need her to give evidence. I'm sure she'd give every consideration to that. Has she expressed any fear to you about being charged herself and potentially, I don't know, worst case jail time? She has a high degree of concern as to what may happen as a consequence of what she's done in the past and what the Royal Commission's findings are. Whatever Nicola did could not have occurred without the Victoria Police uh, encouraging um, and or uh, involving themselves in it. And to that extent, it is of great concern to the justice in this state. Uh, But the primary reason for it, of course, is not her, It's the conduct of others apart from her, although she was encouraged into doing things which she knows she shouldn't have done. In Commissioner McMurdo's final report, some of the figures are staggering. The Commission has concluded that the convictions or findings of guilt of... 1,011 people may have been affected by Victoria Police's use of Ms Gobbo as a human source. The Commission has specifically named 124 people, including 70 who are still in jail, whose convictions might be unsound. Remember how Nicola helped break down that damn wall of silence around Melbourne's gangland figures? Well, the problem is that all the convictions that flowed from those first cracks in the wall, all of that is now potentially tainted. One of the so-called supergrasses that Nicola helped roll was the guy we called Lambchop. A court recently found that Nicola and the police were making secret payments into his prison account. They were keeping their valuable witness comfortable in jail. But these secret payments, and the way Nicola helped persuade Lambchop to cooperate with police, none of this stuff was revealed in the court cases where he gave evidence. So, since we released our last episode, another man has walked free. A man Lambchop testified against. 
A gangland figure who spent close to a decade behind bars has become the second person to be acquitted because of the Lawyer X scandal. After Victoria's highest court quashed his drug trafficking conviction, saying he suffered a substantial miscarriage of justice. Zlato Svetnovsky is the second person to walk out of jail. The first was Farouk Orman. Farouk Orman spent 12 years in jail after he was convicted for the 2002 murder of underworld figure Victor Pierce. How did you feel when you heard the jury's verdict of guilty? Probably, I swear, goosebumps. Probably like I got hit by a bus, to be honest. Just shocked. Yeah, and then trying to comfort my mum. He went into jail as a 25-year-old. When he came out last year, things like iPhones and iPads had been invented. When he sits down in front of me to talk about the Royal Commission, it's his first time in front of a camera since he left his cramped prison cell. He says it's time. When I say the name Nicola Gobbo, what comes to mind? Probably betrayal and deceit, I suppose. Really? Shock? Most people in jail will tell you they're innocent. In Farouk Orman's case, the courts agreed that his conviction wasn't sound. The Royal Commission's found, quote, had Mr Orman been given a fair trial according to law, he may well have been acquitted in 2009. And, I might add, he may not have spent half of his young life in jail, a large chunk of it in solitary confinement. You're locked in a room at the start, it was 23 hours a day. The best way I can describe that is putting a mattress in your toilet, in your bathroom. That's literally the conditions you're living in. But the prison guards are probably more violent than the, the prisoners themselves. What things happen to you in isolation that, that hurt the most? He goes quiet and I'm surprised to see a film of tears start to cover his eyes. Do you want some tissues or anything? No, no, no. I'm sorry, I really That's don't mean right. to upset you. Terrible things happening there, I'm sure you. I leave this be for a bit. But no topics are easy, really. What would you like to say to the public now in terms of if they're wondering whether you were the getaway driver in the murder of Victor Pearce? Well, I wasn't. It's quite clear I wasn't. I never was. I don't even know the guy. I've got no incentive for any of this. He tells me he didn't know Victor Pearce and that the alleged hitman, the late Benji Venyaman, was a hothead he'd only met a few times. So why would he help a volatile acquaintance murder a stranger? Also, he says the guy who testified against him, he barely knew either. And um, I'm supposed to be uh, confessing these major crimes to him, to a guy that I barely knew, literally. Those who helped put him behind bars did have incentives. The man who gave evidence against him had time shaved off his own prison sentence. As for Victoria Police, Farouk Orman says detectives were hoping the murder charge would make him feel trapped. The Royal Commission heard allegations that detectives hoped Farouk Orman would try to trade his way out by giving evidence against Mick Gatto, one of the few survivors of Melbourne's gangland war. Farouk Orman says he kept quiet and they made him suffer for it and for not wanting to cooperate and make up lies. Not, in effect, not wanting somebody else to suffer what they're putting me through, based on lies. The QC who represented him at the murder trial, Robert Richter, gave a statement to the Royal Commission saying Farouk Orman was, quote, 
terribly treated in prison because he refused a police prosecution deal which would involve him creating evidence against Dominic Gatto. What I and Orman didn't know was that his junior counsel was a police informer seeking to manipulate him. Of course, as you've heard in earlier episodes of this podcast, his junior counsel was Nicola Gobbo. And it's been alleged that she gave police information about how they could best break Frook Orman's spirit in prison. There was an ICR, um, an information contact report, mm. that suggested allegations that Nicola Gobbo told handlers that you had OCD and to Correct. put you into isolation in messy conditions. Yes. So allegations of psychological torture. Yeah. Did uh, that happen? It did. It happened a lot, actually, yes. You know, that... Um, that come into my cell, you know, you'd have to leave the cell or strip searcher. But it's that degrading and it's that common that you get used to being degraded. You know, it becomes normal. And, um, yeah, they'd come in, they'd just turn your cell upside down, trash it, you know, in effect. You know, you, and then you'd come back and, you know, you've got documents, you know, strewn all over the floor. You know, like literally your tea and coffee, they'll just pour it out on your bench, you know, and uh, there'll be dog hair and saliva all over your pillow, your bed. You know, you're asking for new bedding, you can't get it. So you're at their mercy, in effect. Um, and, you know, at any moment that door's going to open, doesn't matter what the time is, you know, and they'll be coming in there with dogs or batters or sh- You don't know what they're coming in there with. You know, you, you, could, you know, you could be lying on the ground standing on your neck with the dog in your face, in effect, like you think the dog's going to bite your face off. Corrections Victoria has told me that it doesn't comment on prisoners or former prisoners, but it will say that it takes their health, well-being and safety very seriously. Farouk Orman says police told him he needed to be kept in solitary confinement for his own safety. He scoffs at this. He says they didn't care about his safety. In fact, after he was convicted, and after police realised he wouldn't roll on Mick Gatto, he says he was placed in the same cell block as the son of the very man he was supposed to have helped murder. He tells me he approached Victor Pierce's son one day, told him he didn't do it, and they shook hands. It took a lot longer to convince the court. Even after I got convicted, I was still, you know, in effect, try and convince myself that eventually the truth will come out, something, something will come somewhere, you know, but... Um, it crushes you, to be honest. It's very crushing, it is. Because every day, even after I found out about Nicola, it still took me about five, six years. You'd think he might reserve his most bitter hatred for the person who betrayed him, Nicola Gobbo. But instead, he just sees her as a cog in the wheel. But obviously, Victoria Police is the sort of powerful, dangerous organisation it is, really. You know, without them, nothing, none of this could have happened. Do you think there are innocent people in jail because of Nicola Gobbo? Well, it'd have to be, wouldn't they? they? They should be able to have their matters heard before the courts, impartially. And even if they're convicted, even if they are guilty, at least they'd be convicted with fairness. Farouk Orman surprises me a number of times during our chat. For example, he seems to have spent a lot of time thinking about juries. Well, you know, how, how would a jury feel? You know, they, they've convicted somebody or acquitted somebody that could have been innocent or guilty, etc. you know, and they have to live with that, you know, thinking they were doing the right thing and then to find that that was all done in deception. I assume he'd want to see cops charged. Again, an unexpected answer. I wouldn't, even to them, I wouldn't wish, wish jail upon them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish for them to even experience what I've been through at their hands, in effect. But mostly, he thinks about his family. Look, I'm, I'm out of prison, thank God. 
But um, the suffering doesn't stop, not for myself or, or my family really. Even my family still suffers from it. Until this day now, you know. My mum sees a police car, she goes, what is a ghost? I think she's going to drop there and then, you know. I, I can't see where, if the suffering will ever stop, to be honest. So will any police officers be charged for perverting the course of justice or misconduct in public office or anything else? Who knows? As you heard in our last episode, the Commissioner had decided in advance that she wouldn't name names of the contenders for potential criminal charges to avoid prejudicing any potential future trials. But in her findings, she did have some strong things to say about the behaviour of police. In their recruitment, use and management of Ms Gobbo as a human source, a number of Victoria police officers fell short of their legal, ethical and professional duties and obligations. More than 100 police officers knew Nicola Gobbo was an informer. They stayed silent, partly to protect the force's image, said Ms McMurdo. The Commission accepts that these failures stemmed in large part from concerns for Ms Gobbo's safety but they were also to avoid reputational damage to Victoria Police and the officers involved, external inquiries, judicial criticism and appeals against conviction. By placing these factors ahead of their duties and obligations, they corrupted the criminal justice system. Her report says police officers encouraged, or at the very least condoned, Nicola Gobbo acting for people she was informing on that they didn't make proper disclosures to accused people nor the courts, and that they failed to seek legal advice. It suggested an unacceptable willingness throughout the organisation to tolerate bending the rules to help solve serious crime. As for individuals singled out in this final report, Commissioner McMurdo has referred Victoria Police's most senior lawyer, Finn McRae, to the legal regulator for, quote, persistently failing in his duty to inform prosecutors of the force's true history with Nicola Gobbo. Mr McRae got quite emotional in the Royal Commission witness box early this year, claiming, quote, I'm the one who has exposed this over the years, relentlessly. The current police chief, Shane Patton, says he has full confidence in Finn McRae and in the steps he took to disclose. As for the police chief at the time, Simon Overland, the Royal Commission lays a lot of blame at his feet. The Royal Commission found that Mr Overland knew, or should have known, Nicola Gobbo was representing people she was informing on. Simon Overland declined an interview with the ABC. So, what about the others at the top? What about the force's independent watchdog, the Office of Police Integrity, the OPI? The Commissioner has found its then-Deputy Director, Graham Ashton, missed a crucial opportunity for Nicola Gobbo's role to be scrutinised. I'm not sure ultimately, um, you know, what that in, in really means, to be precise. I mean, there's, there's lost opportunities through this entire, this entire issue. We've wanted to talk to the former Deputy Director of the OPI, Graham Ashton, for a long time. And finally, after the report dropped, he agreed to an exclusive interview with my reporting partner, Josie Taylor. I mean, where was uh, was it a lost opportunity for the legal profession to pull her into line early on when they found she was associating with um, criminal entities socially? 
um, you know, well, that, was, that was a lost opportunity. I'm sure there were many, many lost opportunities uh, and this was one of, of many. Do you take some personal responsibility for that lost opportunity? Well, of course you do because uh, you were the person at the time who, um, you know, if they uh, had taken other action could have led to further things being uncovered. But I think if I reflect on that, I think I acted appropriately with the level of knowledge I had. So had you be able to go back in time, of course you would do things differently, but you can only operate on the level of knowledge that you have at that time. He points out to Josie that it was he who commissioned the first big review of what happened with Nicola Gobbo when he subsequently became the police chief. It was an internal review, known as the Comrie Report, which then led to further inquiries. That was why when I read the Royal Commission report today, I thought it would have been nice if there could have been something to say well, there was no big conspiracy by senior members of police or myself or, or people within, um, you know, Crime Command or something to deceive the, um, the legal community. The way he tells it, he did his best in an incredibly tough role serving the state and he's been publicly crucified for it part of the job when you are um, the Chief Commissioner of Police that you are going to get criticised for a lot of things and I guess I understand it from that lens but um, it does take its toll on on you and your family for example. Uh, I know the Four Corners report that was done on me that was suggesting I was you know, engaging criminal conduct and uh, etc. Well, the day after that was my daughter's VCE graduation it should have been one of the best days of her life and she's trying to deal with questions about her father that was on the TV last night. Um, my, my elderly parents rang me, my mother was in tears, oh, you're going to jail, Graham, you know, and I'm um, trying to say to her, no, Mum, that's not, I haven't engaged in any criminal conduct, I haven't done anything like that. On the whole, working at the police watchdog knowing the force was using a barrister's information, then taking over the force while it fought to keep her name a secret, he mostly stands by what he did. I think, uh, I think if you look at it in this context, um, you know, I think I can sleep at night knowing that I'm going back. Would I have done things differently uh, knowing what I did? Yes, but at the time with the information I had, I think I was, I am satisfied that I did what I needed to do at the time. The whole time we've been making this podcast, we've also wanted to speak to the current Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police. When the Royal Commission finished its work, Shane Patton finally agreed to speak to me. We welcome uh, the uh, report by the Commissioner. We've tried our best to work with the Commission. Uh, we haven't always been able to be as responsive as we would like. This has been a complex, complex, complex Royal Commission that involved public interest immunity claims, uh, legal and professional privilege. I don't think there's been another one like, certainly not in Australia. Uh, and uh, we have learned a lot from it. Uh, we're a better organisation for having been through it. It's a sad day that I'm sitting here as the Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police, apologising for something that we got um, very profoundly wrong. But it's also an important day because it marks a line, a line in the sand, if you like, although it's not in the sand because it's not going to be shifting anymore. It marks a line where we move forward and we go, we say, we know where we're going, we have a clear direction and a clear impetus to implement those policies and do everything we can to get better. Nicola Gogo is 
in hiding with her two young children. Farouk Orman spent 12 years in jail, but a lot of the officers involved, it's life as normal. A lot of them have been promoted. That's not really a good look, is it? Oh, I don't think it's, it's very simplistic to try and put that broad brush question uh, over a number of uh, different people and different involvements from uh, police officers of varying ranks. One of the real contributing factors was that organisationally, uh, systemically, we did not have in place what should have been there to make the officers involved in this matter able to understand the depth and, and complexity of the matter they were involved in. And no one police officer had a full picture of what was going on here. So you say it's a systemic and an organisational problem, but the Commissioner did say that an organisation is the sum of all its parts and its parts is the officers. So can you understand how the public might feel cheated if, there, if there's no punishment for the officers involved? When we talk about punishment, what we need to do now, uh, the Commissioner has made recommendations that a special investigator is appointed to look at sufficiency of evidence, uh, whether there is sufficient evidence, admissible evidence, in either a criminal or a discipline forum uh, for actions to be taken against current or veteran former police officers. And we will support any such investigation uh, so that we can see, well, what is the level of fault here and what should occur? How can you boast about cultural change when there are still so many of the officers who were involved now in high positions within the force? I say this not to diminish our responsibility because I absolutely accept that, but to contextualise it happened uh, between 11 and 27 years ago. Uh, and we have moved forward uh, as an organisation. And as I said, any officers involved, uh, I absolutely think it is appropriate that we now step through and say, what is the evidence that's alleged against any of these officers? And let's look through that and determine whether any have committed any offences now that we've had the response from the Commission. What promises can you give the public that this could never happen again? Uh, this could never happen again. The reality is we have moved forward so much as an organisation uh, since this did occur. We have now in place a whole range of governance processes, a whole range of policies, uh, a whole range of risk assessments. Uh, and so before we even approached a person such as Ms Gobbo, we would refer that matter to an ethics committee. We would get legal advice. And then we have to step through a whole range of risk assessments. So this should never have happened, it, it won't happen again in Victoria Police. So the police force says this won't happen again. But amazingly, we still don't have the full picture about how Victoria Police has used informers. Just as the commissioner was due to publish her final report, the police suddenly coughed up a crucial piece of information there were 11 informers that the police had failed to tell her about. Only three days before the final report was to be delivered, Victoria Police produced for the first time apparently significant documents relevant to a notice to produce issued in January 2019. And Victoria Police did not give the Commission access to 11 human source files, deeming them too sensitive for me to review. 11 human source files. So... 11 secret files on secret police informants. 
The Commissioner has recommended that someone independent be appointed to review those files to find out who these secret informers are and whether there might be any legal or ethical problems with what's going on. The police chief has told the ABC that none of these 11 informers are lawyers. But it's striking to think that even a royal commission has struggled to apply scrutiny to all the tightly held secrets of Victoria Police. Commissioner Margaret McMurdo says that Victorians can now have faith that their justice system is operating how it should. But she says there are more safeguards to put in place. Victoria Police has made significant improvements to its human source management processes since Ms Gobbo's use. It is now one of the few Australian law enforcement agencies that adopts specific rules and and safeguards for the use of human sources with obligations of confidentiality or privilege. While these improvements are commendable, I recommend legislation with similarities to that operating successfully in the United Kingdom to regulate Victoria Police's use of human sources. Commissioner McMurdo has made 111 recommendations. The Victorian government has promised to implement them all. The Commission's recommendations for future reforms aim to ensure the events that led to this Commission will not be repeated. But even the best systems can be undermined by deliberate or grossly negligent conduct. And that's what worries former insiders. Even though the Commission says that independent oversight will now ensure that misconduct is exposed quickly, former police corruption whistleblower Simon Illingworth says that until the culture changes completely, there'll continue to be problems. He spoke to my reporting partner, Josie Taylor. Quite clearly, um, the point was made by her that what we saw has been abysmal policing, in particular supervision and leadership. So when you heard the, the now Chief Commissioner Shane Patton say after the report was handed down that, you know, great apologies, that this sort of thing could never happen again. It was years ago. They've now, they'll now address the findings. How does that make you feel? Well, you know, if you look at this situation in isolation, you know, it probably won't happen. You know, you won't have a lawyer being an informer. But the fact is, is that this situation's going to play out in some other way. Um, until the culture's changed. And again, the, the senior constables and, and sergeants that, that are constantly sort of called the rotten apples and thrown out, um, something needs to change at the top end. And, um, you know, the, the police force, it's a bit like a rubber band at the moment where you've got all the good people within it and there's, you know, the vast majority are. And then you've got, a you know, a handful of people... Um, at the top that fail to supervise, fail to lead, that are holding the other end of the rubber band. So um, there's got to be some wholesale changes from this. This cannot be just, you know, seen as a bit a bit of a wash through and then we'll just continue on with what we're doing. I mean, one of the things, one of the things that gets me is that, you know, when was the last time a person received a Valor Award for moral courage? You know, the answer to that is never. Um, so quite clearly it's not respected, it's not rewarded or awarded. And, um, and that's something that the police force has got to have a, a look at itself and, and change. 
I suppose you've had a unique perspective. You've been inside the Victoria Police tent. You know how it works. You've tried to fight corruption um, and eventually left as a result. What would your advice be to Victoria Police now? Um, Reset. You know, try and bridge the gap between the police and the people. Um, Build trust. Tell the truth. Tell it how it is. Um, Without the wheel spin, just tell it how it is and then the people will follow you, the people will begin to trust you and then the police force will get underway and the culture will build as as that is happening. Of course, the one person we can't talk to about the Royal Commission's final report, about this whole big mess that she helped create, is Nicola Gobbo herself. Just as she, on many levels, remains an enigma, her whereabouts and future remain unknown. We can't hear from her directly. And, yeah, I do I do miss hearing from her directly. It sounds weird, doesn't it? But, I mean, we spent, God, like we were in contact with her multiple times a day at one point. Mm. Um, just, yeah, it's a weird thing not to have that as such a big, big part of our life anymore. Well, I think it's it's really difficult because she is the key to so many things and she has got a huge amount of historical knowledge and criminal information and um, and that's why you can see why police were drawn to that and found it so irresistible because as journalists we are too. You don't get many Nicola Gobbos in your lifetime. And I do think about her kids a lot and what's, you know, where she and the kids are and how they are. Mm, I do too. And you wonder. And as a storyteller, as a human, it's that's hard not knowing the answer. Well, we hope they're safe and well and stay that way. And you wonder that if we will ever hear from them again and, and hope that we do. At the last minute, after we'd already finished recording this episode, two important things happened. Tony Mockbell, one of the biggest names from Melbourne's underworld, has had his conviction for importing cocaine quashed as a result of Nicola Gobbo's informing. That's the charge we told you about in episode four that led to his infamous escape to Greece. The Court of Appeal will now decide whether to order a retrial or to acquit him. But Mockbell still has appeals pending on other charges. And another thing happened in the last few days. We got another message from Nicola Gobbo because there's always more to say. Her lawyer, Tim Tobin, passed on a message from her. No voice diary this time, though, just words on a page. She says... I'm reluctant to record anything, out of pure fear of the consequences to myself and the kids. I continue to be stuck indefinitely in Vic Pohl's black hole, silenced and shut down, in a form of coercive imprisonment with less human rights than a convicted terrorist... It is a perversity that the organisation who orchestrated this situation and whom, based on the Royal Commission's findings, now have the greatest to lose, are standing between me and a special investigator. I maintain that the only imminent risk of actual harm to me arises from the inaction, poor decisions, negligence and shambolic mismanagement by and at the hands of Victoria Police. Victoria Police says it can't make any comment on this, other than to say it's committed to cooperating fully with any further investigations. So we leave Nicola Gobbo, just as we met her, 
trapped and railing against the organisation that once considered her its glittering prize. Season two of Trace the Informer is hosted by me, Rachel Brown. My reporting partner is Josie Taylor. Supervising producer for post-production is Tim Roxborough. And our sound design and theme composition was done by Martin Peralta. That's it from Trace for this season. If you want to hear more episodes of Trace, take a listen to our first season about the unsolved murder of Maria James. There will be a new coronial inquest into that case next year. So take a listen to season one before we hear the next chapter in that story. Listener.